Welcome to another Light Reading Podcast. My name is Phil Harvey. I'm the editor here at Light Reading. I'm Kelsey Sizer. I'm also an editor at Light Reading. And I'm Robert Clark. I'm a contributing editor at Light Reading, uh, based in Hong Kong. Robert, welcome to the podcast. Uh, Good to see and hear you. Likewise, I think it's the first time I've talked to and cited yourself and Kelsey. So thanks for having me on. Great, uh, great, great to have you. Um, for those, so for the folks who are regular light reading readers, you'll know that Robert is obviously uh, based in Hong Kong and has, uh, uh, for many years, led our uh, regional coverage of the Asia Pac market. Um, Robert, what's your uh, maybe give folks a little bit of background, like how long you've been a contributor to light reading and what else you've done in your uh, journalism career, so folks who uh, aren't up to speed can can get up to speed. Well, I. Being a contributor for light reading uh, for, I think, pretty close to a decade now, um, yeah. I, I, at various at various le- levels of intensity, yeah, the last few years has been uh, sort of a, a lot busier than, than other times. Uh, and my, my beat is basically sort of, sort of Northeast Asia, Southeast Asia and Australia, because we, the listeners probably know we have a, a correspondent who covers India and South Asia. Yeah. And prior to that, I was here in Hong Kong, and for and prior to that, I was in Taiwan, and doing similar sorts of things, writing for uh, for a number of years for Telecom Asia magazine when it was a going thing, and before that, I was a freelancer and part timer for a, a whole range of magazines from the Far East Economic Review, some Australian newspapers. And, and a number of and some uh, publications that I think might have been been back in the day in former. It's so long ago. Especially publications, Cambridge Telecoms and KWTV. TV. Uh, yeah, there, there have been some ownership changes since. Oh yeah, I think of the B two B market. Informa has owned and sold most everything at least once. So so <laughs> so it's and 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 for those listening who don't know, Informa of course is our, is Light Reading's parent company. They took the company over. They they bought us in. Uh, what, 2016-ish, Kelsey, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, I think it was um, September of uh, 2016 or 17. Yeah, so it was, it was, it was back then, several years ago. Um, and then uh, and then a few year, a couple of years later, so <laughs> this is so funny with light reading. Light reading was independent. Then we were bought by an American company called CMP Media. Then we, then that company was bought by a British company called United Business Media. Then UBM uh, divested Light Reading and it became independent. And then it was bought by Informa. And then after Informa bought Light Reading, like two years later, then it bought UBM. <laughs> and so, and so we we keep running into the same colleagues over and over again. Uh, you know, if you've been with Light Reading long enough. And for those listening and reading Light Reading, this has nothing to do with. You know, hopefully, the daily output of uh, of what we do, but behind the scenes, it's 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 always intriguing. Um, and yeah, Robert's been a contributor for a good chunk of that time. So uh, so thanks for, but, for all the help but, there. Uh, but also, yeah, I mean, uh, often I'm still the last to know uh, who's owning the company or right. what's going on in the company. Because <laughs> no, that's the I good. Just, that's the I good thing. We follow I, the stories and uh, and let it. You guys do the uh, management and deal with everything. Yeah, else. we're 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 kind of like uh um you know we're more or less uh, uh 
trying to keep all of that, you know, shielded from our, our various contributors around the world. Um, but speaking of around the world, um, you know, I, we were going to talk about a couple of things that, that, you know, uh, are kind of hot button issues in the, uh, you know, in the Asian theater, uh, uh broadly, but, uh, the story you're filing this week, I, I want to get right to it. Um, uh, PLDT is kind of melting down. Uh, can you give us a ba- little bit of background on what you covered there and what's, what's going on? It's, it's a pretty amazing story, I think, from any company, but especially PODT, one of the bluest of blue chips in the Philippines and run by some very well-respected people. Um, but incredibly, it, it's disclosed on Friday afternoon after the close of trading that it couldn't account for something like $866 million in capital spending over the previous four years. Um it's stock, as you can imagine, has crashed by 19% today. And the the chairman of the company, who was also previously the CEO, and is also a was also chairman of another a number of other respected big companies in the Philippines, many Pangolin Um is <clears throat> feeling the pain because some of those other companies are also being marked down heavily. And so it's it's causing some sort of re- reputational issues for 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 many, um, but it is quite an amazing story. The company disclosed that actually it originally couldn't account for r- roughly double that amount of funds wow. or spending, um, but it sort of whittled it down through, to use its own words, an ongoing forensic audit. And through discussion with the vendors, and um, now the, 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 this this these unaccounted funds they all relate to capital spending. So the PLDT says it cannot find any fraud or uh, procurement anomalies. So it certainly seems like at the very least it's been extraordinarily careless uh, in its accounting and its procurement practices in the last four years. Wow. So, I mean, I, I, you know, as budgets go, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty careless with our budget, but I, I, the, but that's, that's like to a different level. <laughs> Kelsey's yeah, like it, trying not to laugh. <laughs> it, it is, it is really something. Um, now, Pangolin did do an interview with one of the local media where he said, he said a number of staff have been suspended. They put some, they, they announced on Friday they had appointed a new group controller a month ago. So it's wow. obviously been working on it a little while, but yeah. certainly some heads are, are rolling or about to roll. Um, there's a big question over the, the future reputation of Pangolin uh, the chairman himself. But, yeah, this is quite an amazing story in the telecoms industry or in any industry for a company to sort of mislay that amount of cash. Yeah. And it doesn't seem like, I mean, they don't, they don't seem to have, I think what's disturbing about it from a, you know, kind of an investor point of view is that there's no clean cut answer. You know, it's not like, or or at least at this moment, they don't seem to have anything to say about why or where the funds went or, or what's happened or anything like that. Well, well, that, that, that explanation that where they said, look, we, we found some of the money does, does tend to suggest yeah, there, there, is some, there are some kinds of paper trails that they can follow, and it does suggest a, a good deal of sloppiness. Um, from my point of view, by the way, it just hasn't happened. I was in Manila last week, and for some reason I just couldn't get a meeting with PLDT. So 
that that clears up that one for me. They were kind of busy. I've got that answer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they definitely didn't want to meet with any journalists last week. Quite happy. Hey, the other. Yeah. Hey, our company's on fire. Let's bring in a journalist <laughs> to talk about it. Great so, idea. So, yeah. so, so when you say so, at least, at least one question is answered. That, that was mine about why on earth they were avoiding me. But yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I didn't say the stock tanked at nineteen percent today. Really, got knocked down. And, yeah, and for a, for a company like that too. I mean, if you if you, I'm mean, just you know, for, for those who aren't like watching that company on the on the foreign exchanges, it's it's like you said, it's the bluest of blue chips. It's a very steady stock. It just doesn't go up or down that freakishly in one day. So a twenty a twenty percent swing in either direction is really eye popping given the context. And and even and more disturbingly, perhaps, or perhaps one of the most disturbing things is it it, it slid. Around fifteen percent last week, the five days, mm-hmm. and and the Securities Commission is investigating it. It's investigating sure. the you know the the disclosure of the, the lost funds, but it's also dis- disclosing about. It's also investigating why it, it fell so much last week, uh, and yeah. you know, thinking you know, there may be some insider trading there. Oh yeah, there was definitely somebody somewhere selling off, and so it has. Mm-hmm. So now now they're kind of to compound the problem they have to figure out. I mean, this the same sort of thing happened with, um, you know, here in the States. It's happened with a couple of companies, but mostly, um, uh, I mean, the biggest ones have been, you know, MCI WorldCom, that telecom when it collapsed. And then, of course, the Enron Broadband, you know, in, in ahead, ahead of both of those collapses, you saw suddenly, you know, a stock that had been all upside suddenly, uh, so you know, people selling off big chunks, and so some somebody somewhere was tipped off. So we'll we'll it, it'll be interesting to see where this goes for sure. Yeah, well, I think the PODD people would say, "Well, we're not Enron, we're not MCO Worldcom," but but certainly, uh, yeah, there 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 are some uh, there are some questions to be asked asked uh, of that company. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's the thing too. Yeah, no, I'm I'm not obviously. Yeah, so folks don't misinterpret. I'm I'm definitely not um, saying we know that there's anything nefarious going on. Like you said, it could be just rampant carelessness and maybe a, a lack of institutional systems that have been, you know, maybe they've been too informal with their accounting and, you know, it caught up to them o- over time. But, um, but yeah, but, it, but it's just in terms of the, the, the size, I guess, or the impact of the, uh, of the misplacement, I guess that's kind of the, the way to phrase it at the moment. But uh, anyway, well, thank, th- thanks for bringing that to light and reporting it so clearly folks will see that on the, uh, on the website this week. Um, uh, Kelsey, any, any uh, follow-ups from you? Cause I want to, maybe we'll dive right into the next. Yeah. Next I was just curious how the SEC spotted it, but I mean, I, I guess we'll, we'll find out more about that. Um, oh, it was disclosed on Friday afternoon. Okay. So it came to light. Um, yeah, the company but, kind of fell on its sword a little bit, but yeah. Um, yeah well, you know, but Friday afternoon, just before weekend, is the mm-hmm. only time you really Which, want to disclose. You know, has to really, <laughs> really annoy investors. <laughs> I mean, and not to not to not to I, gaslight them a little I, bit. That is that is kind of annoying. I, by yeah. the way, it, it it trades ADRs on the New York Exchange too at PODT. So yeah, uh, so it'll so affect. Uh, might, might be interesting to watch what that's. Yeah, I was about to say all the telecoms. I mean, the, the, you know, there's a there's a ton of um, you know like teachers, pension funds, and things like that that just hold baskets of stocks. Um, yeah. You know, 
mutual funds and things like that. And usually foreign telecoms and foreign electric companies and things like that, or, or electric utilities and gas companies are thought to be very stable and safe investments. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, when, when one of them, you know, moves in such a wild direction, it does, uh, the sector can sometimes react and then those funds can react. Um, in the Philippines, in this case, like you said, the chairman there, um, uh, is an investor, a board member, uh, affiliated with a number of different companies. So this is going to have like kind of a more widespread, uh, economic. I, I should add, by the way, that the, the uh, in its, in its disclosure, it, it's guided said, it said it's guidance is unchanged for, uh, for the year. Right. So it, it is, it, it's suggesting that this 866 million isn't, isn't really material for the, uh, for its profitability, <clears throat> excuse me, but, but we will see. Yeah. That it also means that when you, when you uh, mishandle that much capital, it doesn't make a great dividend story long-term either. <laughs> like, so anyway, well, yeah, we'll keep, we'll keep an eye on that. Um, I did want to talk about, you know, um, you, you know, how, 5G is doing in the region because we've kind of gone into, I, I guess we're in year what, two ish. Uh, yeah, year four, year I guess, four, of deployment. Yeah, of, of active deployment. Um, uh, and, and sort of what's, you know, it's always been, at least in the first couple of years, it was thought to be this, uh, you know, okay, once the carriers really get going and they really communicate the benefits of 5G to their customers, then there will be this knock-on effect of uh, increased ARPU and revenue and that sort of thing. Has that at all materialized in, you know, in the region uh, that you cover? Uh, not really. I think the story, I think Asia is interesting in for, for 5G simply because there's so much of it. Even if you leave China aside, Korea, Japan, even Australia have got pretty reasonable 5G numbers, um, but it it has not taken off as you'd expect. I mean, I look at China. I think, uh, and I, I think of the phrase like the I think of, of the phrase first mover disadvantage because they've just spent so he- so heavily on mm-hmm. uh, on 5G, and even even in the Chinese, you know, the, the domestic media, which tends to be often go a bit easier on their on their state owned companies. It's a pretty wide refrain that we're not really we the user and the investor aren't getting a lot uh, out of five G. So, in that sense, it's not much different from anywhere else in the world. Um, there's a lot of a lot of numbers, a lot of users, but just not a huge amount of usage. I guess the main benefit the operators get is that they they just get to run their networks a little more efficiently. And you know, if you yeah. mi- if you migrate people off four G. That just and off three G that helps you sort of close down those three G or two G networks and sort of get to refarm that spectrum. There's that sort of like housekeeping part of the business that gets done, but there, 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 there's not a lot of um uh, there's not a lot of um a new revenue stream growth going in Asia, just like anywhere else in the world. Do you, wasn't um, South Korea kind of weren't they one of the first movers in Asia? Like how how are they doing in terms of five well, G? They were officially the very first. I think yeah, you know, they all the, all three operators started on the very same day, and I think it was April or May two thousand and nineteen. But I mean, I, I haven't tracked it that closely. But uh, one of the analyst firms said that actually the ARPU has gone down over the past, past hmm. twelve months. Um, certainly, if it has gone down, it's gone up by you know like two one or two percent. 
Yeah, I mean, and I'm just talking about 5G up. You know, it just isn't. Yeah. It isn't delivering that boost that they hoped. But you know, I mean, I'm I'm also hearing. Oh, I think it was a, a, an analysis Mason did a really good session on 5G and, and Outlook a couple of months ago, and I mean, and this isn't unique to them, but they they put a world where they say, look, there's a lot of there's new new releases coming out. I think it's 16 or 17 with 5.5G, 5.5G if you want to call it that, but with some of the really powerful capabilities that we expect 5G to have, and that we need 5G to sort of deliver some, uh, to deliver something new, and that's when it will really kick off. And that, but that will still be, I think, in terms of the bottom line, probably a couple of years away. Yeah, yeah. So still, still a couple of years away for that. How, um, how is it changing the companies themselves? I mean, they are, you know. It, it does get, like you said earlier, it does give them a path to more efficiency and kind of running their networks a little bit um, lighter. Has have a lot of them embraced uh, mm. changes or, or uh, changed the way they operate, you know, in region or anything like that? I'm not sure how it is for the North American and European telcos, but certainly in Asia, I mean, there, there's a huge, uh, and and in many in a lot of instances, quite quite well, relatively successful trend. In building out new new businesses that sort of have nothing to do with five G, um, you know, we're talking about uh, e commerce e- e- and uh, health and uh, payment systems and yeah. lo- lo- uh, loyalty sort of loyalty cards. I mean, Korea, Korea, Japan, in particular, uh, are doing well at that. Ta- ta- Taiwan, the Taiwan, the Taiwan Mobile has a fantastic e commerce business. So where where they they're getting or where they seem to be making the gains isn't in, isn't really related directly to 5G. It's really in building out these new businesses that are, you know, sort of adjacent to, but separate yeah. from the telecom business. And that, that, that's yeah, kind of exciting. Yeah, 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 it is. I, especially the, I mean, I, it, I've, I've been, um, you know, really interested because, digital payments and sort of um, uh, virtual payment systems are just sort of starting to take off here in the, in, in the States. And I've been really fascinated with watching how, just how cash free and how um, uh, kind of friction free a lot of uh, Asian e-commerce is, you know, you know, especially between and, and, uh, and retail. Um, there's just sort of an expectation that it's going to be delivered that uh, and, and and it seems like the operators are more heavily involved in that, whereas here it's all on, uh, you know, it's some of the operators, it's some of the device makers, it's some of the credit card companies. It's just kind of a mixed bag of companies that uh, sort of yeah, well, Actually, here in Hong Kong is kind of interesting because if, if, if you're not paying cash, you know, there is no particular order. You've got Alipay from Alibaba. You've got um, well, WeChat, and that's a really big one, especially in, in mainland China. Yeah, I think you've got Google Pay, and you've you've got your Visa card, and there are probably a couple of others I haven't thought of. But I mean, there, there is there's a lot a lot of choices, but it tends to be though in most markets that there's one or two really big ones, and then mainland China, WeChat, and to an extent uh, AliPay. Like, oh, you can do just about anything with the, with those two, and not just in payments, but in transferring money. Um, uh, transferring money to others and managing your bank accounts and so on. It's, it's, it's a really powerful financial apps. Japan, Japan, and, and South Korea also have some some pretty strong um, uh, financial some financial services being run by the telcos. Um, 
if there is a bit, but I think in, in most, in, in I think with SKT and I think Docimo, they've got partnerships with the uh, financial services companies. So certainly, it's it's uh, they they've been quite astute in getting into the e-commerce, the payments field, um, probably four or five years ago, and making business out of it. Yeah, indeed. Uh, but yeah, I should I, yeah, but it has almost nothing to do with five G. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 I guess the most the most interesting thing is relevant to this conversation mm-hmm. is that yeah, these businesses are thriving. The the connection to the consumer is probably stronger than ever in some respects, but it didn't it didn't come about because of the uh, new network technology. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the 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 one odd thing about five G is that in Asia is is that. Several markets decided that 5G would be a good time to introduce a new operator, a new player in the market. And in just about, in most of those instances, it's been not a failure, but extremely difficult. Mm-hmm. Where that's mostly in Northeast Asia, whereas in Southeast Asia and yeah. Australia, they went the opposite direction. When as 5G approached, uh, the market, sometimes driven by the regulator, just consolidated because they 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 decided. You know, we're already saturated. Um, this yeah. is going to take a big investment. Um, so we, we need to partner up. So in, in Northeast Asia, I mean, in, in Rakuten in Japan, famously, it's 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 bringing a whole new way of doing bigger telco, but it's yeah. being caught in a, an old-fashioned price war. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're they're kind of an interesting one. We, I mean, we, obviously, we're we're covering them pretty closely because they're both, you know, trying to redefine, uh, I guess, the telco infrastructure itself and how it operates. And then they're trying to sell that model as a service to other telcos in different places. And so, yeah, they've got, um, uh, there's a lot going on there. <laughs> and, then, and then, of course, in their home, you know, country, they're not necessarily the, 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 the runaway leader in that market. So they've got a little bit of proving yet to do. Oh, look, it, it's. I think. I think. Uh, yeah, getting into a market which is, let's say, generously seventy, eighty percent served is tough in any business, and so that, that's roughly where Rakuten is, and it's it's yeah. really hard. And and they have the Japanese consumer has done well out of it. The, the prices have come down fantastically, yeah. but it's it's a, a very tough uh, road ahead for Rakuten. Yeah. Indeed. Whenever we talk about Rakuten, I always think of that headline by Ken Whelan, the rah rah Rakuten <laughs> from <laughs> like two years ago. That yeah, always yeah. gets in my head. <laughs> they they are one of the bit. more uh, prolific companies in terms. I mean, and I give them credit for this for explaining themselves um, sometimes too much, but um, <laughs> you know they they are they're getting out in front of you know explaining what it is they're working on. Uh, Tarek Amin has been great about you know, stopping down and giving us interviews at least once a year where he goes into the technical detail of what he's doing and what he, you know, what he, what he hopes to achieve with all of his vendors. So it's it, the vision part is, is really far out, really impressive and interesting. How it comes together is still, you know, um, gonna, gonna take some time. And, you know, I, I, I like it because it gives us a story to cover for another like five or six years, you know? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Yeah, and but yeah, but it do, uh, and the degree of difficulty is it's like nine point eight out of ten. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a tough, tough market. And also, yeah, when you're stuck with, you know, 
a lot of the thing, and I think Tarek would take this in the way that I intend it. A lot of the things that they're bringing to operators are are ultimately things that the consumer won't care about, and so it's really hard to both win, you know, more consumers in a crowded market, a saturated market, and have to compete on price, and then also, you know, um, your main reason for being is all of this, you know, new level of uh, operations efficiency and uh, automation and that sort of thing. Both are obviously necessary, but I think the price competition thing is going to delay them getting, uh, you know, more profitable for, for quite a while. Yeah. So Robert, how are our Huawei and um, ZTE doing with 5G? We, well, obviously they've been pretty much making out like bandits for the past you know, three or four years uh, in their home market. Um, Huawei, uh, Huawei's carrier division. Well, now that its handset division is, is has mostly been mostly gone, its its, car, its carrier equipment division carries uh, a lot of the load in the company these days. Uh, but obviously, um, the, the the China market is just absolutely critical uh, for them, uh, and especially as they're denied access to a lot of the big markets, the United States, Japan, and most of the big uh, European markets. So, but at the same time, I mean, uh, Ericsson and Nokia had maybe 11, 10, 11 percent of the um, of the, uh, the the China uh, mobile market, mobile equipment market. I mean, I, I haven't looked, but it's probably down to about or I may be wrong, but it may well be down to three or four percent now. So, as as Huawei has been sort of ZTE has been reduced uh, uh, elsewhere in the world, the uh, the the, the share of the Western bidders has just been reduced in China, so yeah, they they, they do be doing great in in, uh, in China. I mean, Huawei, it's um, it's 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 carrier business has obviously been doing well. It's it's enterprise business is kind of an interesting one, um, because that's where um, because um, it sort of started roughly the same time as its handset business did about 10, 12 years ago. And it's been much smaller, but it's it's, it's generally had about six, eight, ten percent growth almost every year since. So that, that's that's obviously where Huawei um, has a is, is pinning a lot of its hopes. It uh, and one of the big parts of that is cloud. Huawei is, I think, according to uh, at least one or two of the analysts uh, analysts that track this, is I think is the second biggest cloud provider, cloud service company. Uh, in China, it's got a, a, a got a thriving cloud business, um, but um, it's it's in all these. There, there, I guess there's probably two things I should mention. One is that it's built these um, sort of cross disciplinary teams, but they're sort of at the sub sub vertical level, like it's it's coal mining, or right. let's say ports, uh, and some of them are even. A level below that, certain certain kinds of uh, solutions, certain kinds of, uh, of uh, certain parts of certain verticals where they're really targeting, and it's they built these these teams which are basically obviously there to be really flexible, really focused to just go in and win those businesses. But it's striking because Huawei traditionally is very macro, you know, it's very, and and it's been and very global, very sort of almost grandiose in its vision. So it's really now these days just Digging, digging into these small but probably 
lucrative uh, over the long term kind of opportunities in, in the enterprise space in China. And yeah. the other one is, uh, is is the whole auto business, and that's potentially an absolutely massive thing. But, uh, you know, Huawei, you know, it's a bit like, say, Microsoft or Google in the U.S. Like if you're, if you're Ford or General Motors in the, in the U.S., um, and I, I know nothing about how they're doing their, um, their uh, uh, smart car businesses, but, you know, you're looking at Google and you're looking at Microsoft and you're thinking, yeah, yeah, the, 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 their technology would be great, but if we let them in, I mean, they, they could eat the whole business. And that's the problem Huawei has in China. And so it, it, it's got a couple of, a couple of um, partnerships with some of the, uh, one or two of the very big ones, a big three or four uh, auto players. But its biggest, uh, biggest uh, partnership or relationship is with a, a fairly small company. Where how where Huawei seems to be very much the, is very much the, the dominant partner, um, but unfortunately, we, we we don't really know very much about uh, how that's going. Every every now and then, they, they did release a new car in I think September. I think was, I think this was the Arc Fox, um, and there was a bit of publicity at the outset. Have heard, haven't heard anything since. So you haven't bought one, is what you're saying? No. <laughs> no, no, no. No, I haven't. Um, uh, what, what, uh, something, something I have to flag up though is that in the last four years is, is really how Huawei has sort of really disappeared off the radar of, of the international media. Mm-hmm. Sure. And it's not just because they're not selling equipment, but um, it's it's pretty much impossible to sort of engage with them in the way you used to be able to do, say, three or four years ago. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I mean, it doesn't, it's not that. So the, the significance is not so much that it's a bit inconvenient for us, but it sort of says a bit about how they see the world. Um, yeah, yeah, it, it, it does. It does suggest they're they're in some ways becoming more isolated. Although it's interesting in the, um, yeah, in the North American kind of theater, you know, they still um, will put, they still do a lot of public relations activities. So they're still very active about pushing uh, white papers, speakers. Uh, you know, clearly they're an advertiser across a bunch of Informa platforms and things like that. So it's like they're, they're still trying to get like technical messages out. They're still trying to get their point of view across, but it's not near like you, you, the thing you, I keyed in on that you said there was, it was definitely the engagement. We definitely don't have the same level of engagement that, that we had three or four years ago. when uh, they were Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. The, 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 the international PR department, very helpful, good people to deal with. Uh, but I keep telling them guys, you, you've got the easiest job in the world. Because yeah. <laughs> they they don't they don't engage with the media. You you never get to interview. And and seriously, you know, I I, I would say it's probably three or four years since I've, they've even answered any of my questions. And mm, so they'll, they'll do they'll do their events, their own events, will stand up, and they'll oh yeah, they'll sometimes tell you quite interesting things. But yeah, you don't get the chance to 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 interview them to really sort of interrogate them about what they're doing or what they're thinking. Yeah, um, and, and because um. They they do have this these global ambitions in the in the, obviously in the carrier business they are and they they they're intending to be a, a leader in five point five and, and six G and beyond. Um, so they 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 their their strategy is we all sort of like do it in run around the media and we we'll just talk to the industry. Yeah, well, it's definitely uh you know again that's another one of those kind of perpetual stories for us is sort of covering their uh, their impact on the world telecom scene and then also you know whether or not they ever make inroads back into stronger into the European market. Like we just ran a piece a couple of days ago that 
uh, that actually in Germany they've they've uh, started spending more, <laughs> you know, bought, buying more Huawei equipment uh, and ZTE equipment. Um, but uh, but yeah, so the, you know we'll, we'll we'll sort of keep tracking how that goes. Um, we've run a little bit longer than than I expected, but I've I've really enjoyed it. Uh, Robert, we'll have to have you on very uh, very soon as soon as as soon as we kind of fire things up over the new year. Kelsey, any uh, any final questions or thoughts or uh, uh, or anything at all, Kelsey? Just uh, just just throw something out there. <laughs> no, thanks so much, Robert. Yeah, definitely lots to talk about in the future. Yeah, there's a lot going on here, and great to talk to you guys. Um, uh, have yourselves a great day. Yeah, thanks, Robert. Well, we'll uh, uh, if you can find his fine work on uh, uh, on LightReading.com, of course, but also uh, if you, if you get a chance to delve into uh, the Light Reading Asia newsletter, uh, we do put out a weekly newsletter that that kind of summarizes and puts everything in one place. And uh, Robert, our correspondent Gagandeep in India and South Asia, and then uh, we have a couple of uh, uh, you know a couple of stories here and there from contributors covering uh, the Asian theater as best we can. And in 2023, we'll try to expand our coverage in that space uh, yet again. Uh, so yeah, thanks, uh, thanks Robert. Thanks for listening. Those of you who are listening, uh, we're we're not we're not on video today, so so you'll just have to picture me waving goodbye. <laughs> We'll see you next time on the Light Reading Podcast. Okay, thanks, Phil. Thanks, Kelsey.